Let us continue our worship in the Word of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verse 13 until verse 16. 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light the lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as we continue to study some of the major parables that Jesus taught, last week, if you remember, we have started to look at this parable of salt of, and light of the world. Salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the Bible says you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And in those both cases, that is not that that. By, we are not being sold in the light of the world by merely saying anything or merely doing anything, but by being something. That means if you're going to be sold in light, it's not by a lot of talks in the social media or even a lot of actions that we are going to be sold in light. It's actually by totally different from our environment and so different that we affect it. And that was the idea. If I just give you a brief review of what we talked about last week, because today we're going to talk about the light of the world, uh, but we talked about salt of the earth last week. And what does it mean by the salt of the earth? Now, there are two usages are put together to give you a negative and positive inference of salt. First is to promote the growth of good things that you wanted to grow. The salt here is not just sodium and chloride. It's actually talking about the, the salt that you get from the dead, uh, dead Sea shores. It was used as a fertilizer, and it helped things to grow. Also, the salt of that time inhibited the spread of bad things that you didn't want it to grow, meaning it was a function as disinfectant. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the soil, you are the people who will stop bad things from growing and spreading. Also, you are the salt of the soil, which means you will promote growth of good things that are wanted. And that's the vivid picture. Uh, and you want that salt, not by saying anything or by doing anything, but by being totally different from the environment. By being the salt and salt, we can actually impact the world. And that's the simple picture and simple purpose of the salt that Jesus talked about last and talked about. And we talked about this last week. Then Jesus continued to talk about salt losing its savor, its taste, its saltiness. Now, how can a sodium chloride lose its salty quality? The answer uh, is it cannot. It's a physically impossible. But why did Jesus say, you cannot lose your saltiness? 
How could salt lose its saltiness? In a very simple way, it can be. Not by, not, uh, not by ceasing to be sodium chloride, but by being adulterated with other substances. In fact, our real situation in our society in America, I think there are so many Christians, so many salt around, but how come we are not being effective salt? Well, it's not that we are changing per se by nature, that we are losing this saltiness by sodium, not by being sodium chloride. It's more so we are being adulterated as we are receiving so much other stuff than what God has intended for us to have. We're losing its saltiness maybe as Christians in America today very, very rapidly by being adulterated by having too much of humanistic, secularistic things around us. In the name of tolerance in today's culture, many Christians are trying to be relevant or credible I don't think we are called to be credible or be talented. We are called to be different. Different. That's the real issue. And I think this is a very serious issue because I don't think many Christians today are serious about this. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, there is no way it can be restored where with, and it cannot be salty again. Meaning we have to be very carefully understand what Jesus is saying here. And that's important. Once you lose your saltiness, I don't think you can really get it back. Once you lose, lost, when, uh, when an individual Christian loses their reputation, it's almost impossible to gain back again. And that's what's happening around the world today. Much damage is done by televangelism in our country today. Men, many leaders of our uh, of Christian faith fails, and we are losing uh, our reputation. And it's very hard when individually, when you lost your reputation as a Christian, it's very hard to be salt again. Not that I'm not saying they're not saved. What I'm saying is they cannot be effective um, salt in our society today. That is why it is very important for us to think about this seriously when Jesus warns us, do not lose your saltiness by being adulterated by, uh, adulterated, uh, by receiving so much things of this world. As Christians, we are to be different, living a different life. Then the question still remains, what is a saltiness? How can you be salty? As th- this parable is teaching us, I think we need to go back to Beatitudes, meaning Sermon on the Mount. By the way, the salt, you are the salt of the earth. The context of this passage is actually the Sermon on the Mount. If you read Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 3, you will see what kind of attitudes as Christians we must live with. Right? I'll give you an example. I'm just going to give you very briefly. First of all, to be, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to be despised by the world. It means to lack, lack self-confidence to the point where we say, God, if you don't help me, I cannot do it. Now, the world is opposite, isn't it? They admire self-confidence people who are proud in their spirit and people who stand up for themselves. But the poor in spirit as God's people 
is exactly opposite. It is to say that this is, this is way beyond me. It's the opposite of the self-confidence. It's actually God-confidence because God is with me that I can be confident, not in myself. But it's a lack of self-confidence we are called to be as Christians. That's what it means by being salt, being different. When the world is so crazy about pride, we should be poor in spirit. He says to be mourning, weep, to weep in a world that loves to be happy. It's so different, isn't it? But God said we are to mourn for our own sins. We are to mourn for the things of this world. To be meek in a world that is so aggressive and competitive is not going to go well. But we are called to be meek people. Meek people are not going to get very far in this world, it seems. But again, if you want to remain and contain the saltiness, we need to understand how to live as God's people, which the Beatitude teaches us. Then there is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means to live right. While the whole world tells us to live for our own pleasure, live for material riches, we are, lived, we are to live right. American dream tells us we need to live rich. But no, the Bible says we need to live right, in a right way. And this major mission of this world, that they want to be rich, they want to be live for pleasure. But as Christians, we are the opposite. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness more than anything else in this world. He says to be merciful to give others a chance. He says to be pure in heart. The only way that we can do is to come to know Jesus Christ and live. He said we are to be peacemaker rather than fighters, dividers. And he says we are to be persecuted because of our faith. But take heart, Jesus said, you will receive reward in heaven. If you want big reward now, you will have to look to the men, to the world. But if you want the reward in heaven, look to God. Men will not know what you have. Men will not reward you. But at the end, God the Father will reward you. That is a brief survey of Beatitude, Sermon on the Mount. And that is the context when Jesus said, be salt of the earth. Be different. How different? Live this way. Live this way. Poor in spirit. Hunger for righteousness. You know, to be pure in spirit. All that. Totally opposite of the direction of the world. But that's what it means to contain saltiness. And that's when Jesus in this parable teaches us, you are the salt of the soil, salt of the earth. Amen? That was a brief things that about salt of the earth. Now, Jesus continues to give us the description of our identity as you are the light in this parable. What about the light? I think it also gives its negative and its positive aspect. Its negative aspect is to expose bad ways, to show people up. And 
That's not the way to be popular in this world, isn't it? But it also has a positive function as a light in exhibiting the right way, showing the better way. Uh, so its negative aspect of the light is to expose the bad ways, and the positive aspect is to exhibit the better way. Um, now, this is the only thing that Jesus actually said about himself and his disciples. Did you know Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and you are also the light of the world. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus didn't say, I am the salt of the earth, and you are the salt of the earth. No, he did say, I am the light of the world, and you are also the light of the world. This is the only thing Jesus ever said about himself. So let's look into this. What does it mean by when he said, you are the light of the world? Well, the, let me just give you context on which when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, the occasion on which he said, I am the light of the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, is very fascinating. That's actually John chapter 8 and verse 9. It is the context of a woman taken, for, uh, taken in for adultery, a story that many of us probably have never understood clearly because it's a Jewish story. And unless you are Jewish it's very, and you understand the Jewish culture, it will be very difficult to understand. We might know the story about the adulterous woman in the Bible, but we don't know what it actually means. But let me explain. This is the situation. We know the story, right? They caught a woman in the very act of adultery. And they brought her to Jesus, knowing that the law of Moses demanded that she must be stoned. And knowing that if he said, stone her, it will be a violation of Roman law, which forbids any execution by Jews during that time. If he said, don't stone her, then he's going, to, he's going against the law of Moses. If he says, stone her, he's, the, he's going against the, law, the Roman law. In other words, they trapped him between Roman law and Mosaic law. And you know the story, maybe? But my question is, where is the man? I presume that he was around if they caught her in the very act of adultery. Where is the man? Well, they left him off. They let him off. He was already on a fair trial from the very beginning. It was a very bad case of male chauvinism. And I'm afraid the society all through ages has blamed women for immoral relationships. Whereas the Bible actually holds the men responsible for the immoral relationship. The man is responsible for a wrong relationship, but they let him off. And this kind of thing happened all the time in the ancient time. They brought just a man, just a woman, I mean. Now, it's a perfectly true, according to the law of Moses, she must be stoned because she, she committed adultery. But what did Jesus do here in this place? Some of you already know the story, right? Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Right? Now, to a Jew, that means one thing. That's the gesture of God writing the law. It's a claim to be the one who wrote the Ten Commandments with the finger on the stone. And that's what Jesus was saying. I wrote the law. And Jews 
would be reminded of the Mount Sinai where God wrote with his finger. That's what he is doing on the ground. We don't know this. We don't understand this. Why was he bending and, and start writing with his finger on the, on the ground? But the Jews will know exactly what he is doing. That's the gesture that God is, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who wrote this law. When we read about this, we don't know because we're not Jewish. We don't recognize this gesture of finger writing. But that's what Jesus did. Some people ask, what did Jesus write? That's not the point here. Okay? This is not the point of this vivid act. By writing something with his finger, he's claiming to be the responsible for that law to be to stone adulterers, as he did all the way back to Mount Sinai with Moses. So that seems to be, I believe, the intention of Jesus. Then, Jesus reminded them of another law of Moses that they had forgotten or ignored. That is a very simple law. You know what it says? It says, nobody can be a witness in a crime charge. Nobody can be a witness in a crime charge if they, they have ever committed the same crime. So when Jesus said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Remember this, that, that famous statement? He did not mean you've got to be 100% morally perfect before you can punish anyone. But that's how a lot of Christians, a lot of Gentiles take it. But if you see, you see that that would rule out our parents punishing children or policemen punishing the crime. You rule out all the courts because no judge is without sin. But he was talking about the law that said, if you, if you have never committed adultery, you can be a witness in this case. That's the Mosaic law. That's when they began to go away one by one, beginning with the oldest. That means even they had to admit that they had done it. All of them were the adulterers. So in fact, the witnesses were dismissed on the basis of that law. Do you follow me? That's why Jesus said this. And then, then he looked up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are the witnesses? They're all gone. Now then, another point of the law was that there had to be witnesses of two or three to have a case. And of course, the case had to be dropped because there's no more witnesses. That's why Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, not out of his own mercy, just because there are no witnesses. There's no case here. All the witnesses are gone. Thus, I will not condemn you. That's why Jesus was saying, it's not that Jesus was so wanting to forgive her, showing the mercy. No, Jesus is actually talking about the law case here, the trial. And the case was dismissed. Neither do I condemn you, he said. But he said, don't do it again. I'm, I might not be around to defend you next time if you're going to get into trouble. Don't do it again. I don't know about you. He's a great lawyer, isn't he? I want him to defend me in the judgment seat 
when I see Father in heaven. I mean, this is brilliant. He was showing, I know the law better than any one of you because I wrote it. I'm going to use the very law of Moses to sort out the situation. This unfair trial I want to expose. Isn't that an amazing story? But notice he said, now don't do it again. Because mercy is not offered to us not to go back to sin, but to stop doing it. Amen. Let me say it again. The mercy of God is not offered to us to go back into sin, but to stop doing it. And that's exactly what Jesus said to her. And after she was gone, he then said to the crowd that had gathered, I am the light of the world. Interesting, isn't it? After this thing happened, he turned to the crowd and said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me, won't walk in, they won't walk in darkness, but he will have light of life. That is a context. Now, that tells us a profound truth about what light meant, is meant to be. It's not what we say or do, but what we are. What he's saying is that the woman would never have gotten into this situation if she followed Jesus from the very beginning. Because the situation of darkness, that's the situation of darkness and moral darkness, and the man with her and all those accusers, they were living in darkness. And Jesus is saying, I am light of the world, exposing the bad things, and I will show the better way. And if you ever followed me, you will never be in this mess. That's why he turned and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't get, you don't get into that kind of mess. It's a very simple situation. But he actually exposed their bad ways and exhibited the better way. He said, don't do it again. Don't sin anymore. Amen. That's what he means by being light. Exposing the bad ways and showing, exhibiting the better way. Now then, the only action that we have to do as light is not to put ourselves under a bowl to hide our light, because, but you are to put ourselves in the lampstand, the Bible says. In other words, there is a responsibility deliberately put on ourselves in a public view. Now, that's a difficult thing for Christians to do, especially nowadays, because we can be canceled out. We can be persecuted. We can be accused. But if we just stay in a very safe environment like church, like this, and be here, and how can you shine the light to the world? You can't. There's no use. Our light is no use to anybody else. You may be shining by yourself, but that's not going to help anyone else. So in a way, there's a responsibility for us to show our light, shine our light somehow, which we'll talk about what does it mean by that. But that's, we have to understand this in this parable. And I want to say that the Jesus cannot shine in our world because he's not in it anymore. But he is actually expecting his people to shine his light to the world. That's why Jesus said, now you are the light of the world as well, isn't it? He said, I am the light of the world, but he's no longer in the world. 
His Spirit, Holy Spirit is in, within us, but the Jesus is not. And when Jesus was here in the world 2,000 years ago, yes, he shone his light. But now as he's, he's, in, he's gone, now he is saying to us, you as my people who are filled with my Spirit must now shine my light. That's why Jesus said to us, you are the light of the world. There is a responsibility for us to shine the light of Jesus Christ. I hope that you understand this. Now, question still remains then. How do we shine our light? And I want to begin negatively by saying there are three things that we are not to let shine. Meaning, there's three things that we think is a shining the light is not really shining the light. Three things uh, that he's not referring to the light of being light of the world. First, he's not referring to our devotional activity, activities that is not to be paraded in the public. He went on in the Sermon on the Mount, if you read on, he said, fasting, praying, giving thanks, and giving us and helping others, they are to be done in secret for God alone. We're not to show a way that we pray in public. This is how we do it. This I'm fasting or I'm worshiping the Lord, screaming it out in, in the public realm. No, he's not referring to our devotional life to be in public to shine the light. That's not what I mean to shine the light. Point is, the worship is not a show. I know so many Christians today, we come to church to be entertained. We consider worship as some kind of show. We think we, that's why we need to have a best music. By the way, we should. Not because we should put it out a show to the world to so that the people can see how we worship. No, so that we can worship God whom we fear and whom we reverent, revere. That that's how we worship to God with our best ability. That's great. But we have to understand worship is not for a show for the people to see. But that's what's happening around the world today. We have to be very careful. That's why. When Jesus said, shine the light and you are the light and shine the light, does not mean that show them your devotional activities. He's not referring to that merely. Because the worship, your relationship with God is not a show. Okay? Secondly, he's not referring to a social welfare. Do good things to people. Because, in fact, social welfare doesn't convince the world because the world is pretty good at it right now. Now, the Christians are to be involved in the social welfare, of course. Uh, we are to participate in it to help other people. Bible tells us to do so. But Jesus is not, Jesus is not referring to, to by being doing social work, social actions, is actually shining the light. You need to be very clear, clearly understand this. this is, he's not referring to that. The reason why I'm pointing this out is because of our culture right now, so many Christians, we think, oh, if you do not do this and certain things, then you are not being a Christian. You are not shining the light of Jesus Christ. You have to understand that's not what Jesus is saying when he says, let your light be shine. He's not talking about social actions, merely just social actions. 
And I tell you, so many non-Christians that I know who are so good at doing social action in a very, very effective ways, which I really think is a commendable, right? But that's not merely talking about we got to do the social actions. That's the way that we can shine the light of Jesus Christ. And third negative way uh, is this. It's not, he's not referring to some kind of some kind of uh, uh, lifestyle, like particular lifestyle, like that we need to be poor, we have to share everything, and we have to just live simply in our life. That is not what he's saying. There is no one lifestyle that you, like life, the, the, the level of lifestyle that you need to be to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Then what does it mean by shining the light, being the light of the world. Christians are to be seen for higher standard of living, having a higher standard of living than everybody else around us. That's not what, that's what it means. Meaning we live by different standard. We live differently by different standard, higher standard. It's not just mere material ways but it's more like a, it's not just mere moral ways, but it's the way of faith that we live by something different, different system, different standard, higher moral standard of living is what Jesus meant when he said, let your light shine before men that, that they may see your good actions. And by good, he didn't mean doing good, but he meant being good. And then he proceeds to explain one sphere after another. He raised moral standard of higher than anyone else in, this, in the history. Go back to the Beatitudes as I shared, being a saltiness. How can you live like that? Poor in spirit, to be peacemaker, hunger and thirst for righteousness, to mourn for our sins. That's the standard that we should live in which we should live. And that's why many people, Christian people, who are in the convenient Christianity, we try to dismiss this. Too hard. What do you mean we have to be totally different? When Jesus said, shine the light of Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world, it means you live by different standard of living, different higher moral ground which is the Word of God, which is a spirit, the life of spirit. And this way of life cannot be done naturally. It's a supernatural way of living. That is why the Holy Spirit is available to all the believers, because he knows that it's a supernatural thing. We cannot go against the world on our own. We cannot live according to Beatitudes. On our own? We cannot be living in the higher moral standard. Are you kidding me? I see so many Christians, so-called Christians, living worse than some non-Christians in the world, morally speaking. Then how can we live? Well, that is why it's a supernatural thing. That is why the Holy Spirit comes. And the role of the Holy Spirit is that he is with you, fill you with the power that you will be able to live this way as Jesus wants us to live, 
follow the Beatitudes, living out the kingdom life, the different life, different higher moral standard, only, avail, only, empower, only enabled by the Holy Spirit. Supernatural way, not the natural way. Let me give you a practical example of this, how we should live with a different standard, different moral standard. Well, the Bible says this, the Christian should never worry. Right? And I believe that's why you never see a Christian worry. Is it true? Of course not. We see Christians, we worry all the time. But Bible says we shouldn't worry. Jesus said we should not worry. Why? Because God is with you. And we, by faith as we live, we have to understand we live by the different way of life. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying by being different, being light of the world. Now, Let's go back to our own lives, examine our lives. It's not about our actions or doing certain things, saying certain things that we will be able to be the salt and the light of the world. It's not just by doing good deeds will make us a good light of the world. No, by being who we are in Christ. With the power of the Holy Spirit, living a supernatural way, led by the Spirit, living according to what He wants us to live. And as we have that higher standard of moral standard, living accordingly by faith, that's why Jesus said, you shall not live by sight, but live by faith. That's exactly what it means by you being the light of the world. Examine your life. How is your life? Is your life as believers shining the light? When people see our lives, people will say, why is it so different that they live differently? Way they talk, way they perceive the world. You know, Dr. Edward Kim came last Friday and shared about situation in Europe, his ministry in Europe. Yes, Ukrainian war, politically speaking, is a chaos. It's, it's, it's a very bad thing. In the, many people are being, um, you know, being affected by this negatively. But as Christian, he says, as so many people are coming into the Germany, into the West, to the, all of the Europe, by the way, the Ukrainian... Um, Refugees are now scattered all over the Europe now. He sees this is an opportunity for us to share the gospel to the Ukrainian refugees who, will be, who are being scattered out all over the world in Europe. That they can be a great missionaries. They can be a good people who can go out and share the gospel. That's why his ministry now focuses on Ukrainian missions. Now, seeing differently than the world, different standard, different perspective. Why? Because we are the people of faith. In the midst of 
chaos, we can see hope in the gospel. Now, how is our life? Are we following the pattern of this world? Are we being the salt and light of the world? Or are we being just part of the world? Doing the same thing as the world. Living the same way. Seeking for the same pleasure. Or are we being different by being God's people? Salt and the light of Jesus said to us, You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Let's pray. Thank you.